This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. You all had a good weekend. Well, wasn't it warm (laughs) on the weekend? Yes, I could not believe how hot it was yesterday. It was like we were just somewhere south. We went for vacation and somewhere south. It was just hot. Yeah, I know. I was, uh, you know, running around doing my little bit of stuff around the house, and I was like, why (laughs) am I perspiring like this? And I realized, my gosh, it's weirdly warm. And I had to put the air conditioning on. That's a good weirdly warm, perfect way to say it. Weirdly warm. And at night... Yeah, Blech. it was. It was beautiful, though, outside, uh, just uh, being outside on, you know, Sitting a little bit on of a, a deck. Or, yeah. yeah. Not lying in the bed trying <laughs> no, to sleep. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you were to sleep outside, that probably would be better. <laughs> <laughs> but not a breath, not a breath of wind. Yeah. Which is strange for us. But, uh, you know, anyway, uh, I digress. We may get there. We may get to see some wind yet. Uh, but we'll talk to the Environment Canada Weather Office a little later on in the show. But off the top of our show today, the province's seniors advocate released her annual status report on Friday on recommendations her office has made to government. Susan Walsh says of the 25 formal recommendations made to government, 16 were fully implemented compared to 11 the previous year. Seven recommendations have been partially implemented, while two have seen no measurable advancement. Seniors advocate Susan Walsh joins me now. Hello. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. So uh, two recommendations remain outstanding. What are they? Yes, so there were three outstanding last year, and I'm pleased to say one went from outstanding to fully implemented, and that was our request that the driver's medicals for seniors be free of charge, that they be charged to the MCP system, and the government uh, moved forward on that recommendation this past year, so we were really pleased they implemented that as of April. The two that are outstanding are the recommendation that the shingles vaccine be offered free of charge to low income seniors and those with uh, compromised immune systems. And we know that that is not being done in every province. We appreciate that. But we also know the significant impact it can have on people's health. And I mean, it's painful and it can cause all sorts of long-term implications depending on, you know, where the shingles, uh, you know, come out on your body. Um, And we think it's very aligned. I mean, a lot of the recommendations from our 2019 report were reiterated in the health accord. So, I mean, the health accord specifically talks about broadening vaccinations. Uh, So we think it's aligned with that. Unfortunately, because um, the Department of Health Community Services, you know, they're looking at the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations, so NACI, they're looking at their recommendations. And while NACI recommends people over 50 get it, they don't require it. So then provinces don't necessarily have to implement. So at this stage, I think there's about three provinces that have that in place. So that was the first one. And that can go beyond, shingles can go beyond just a a discomfort. It can affect you, especially if it affects your eyes, let's say, for instance, you could lose your vision. You could lose your vision. Yes, you could. Yes. 
And so it's preventative, right? I mean, a lot of the recommendations we're making are things to try to prevent and keep people uh, prevent people from getting unwell or or more unwell, or else keep them healthy in in the first instance. And so this this would be one of those recommendations, especially for people who can't afford it, um, and for people who have, you know who are compromised. It just it seems a logical approach to keeping our seniors healthy. And it's interesting to me that um, PEI is one of the provinces that has done this, and I mean they have a large seniors population as well. So you know you can see uh, a connect there. And so the other one, uh, you know, similarly has to do with prevention. What is it? Yeah, so it's interesting. So when this recommendation was made back in 2019, which was to include dental, hearing, and vision care as part of the overall health care and chronic disease strategies. So it was made back in 2019 when government was into strategies, right? I mean, strategies was a big thing. They were, you know, developing different strategies as almost like a horizontal approach across government with a long-term kind of plan to address certain areas. But dental care, hearing, and vision care never made those long-term strategies. And so, you know, our office was recommending, well, don't forget these things. These are critical areas for, especially for older people, from a prevention perspective. And I can't tell you the number of seniors who talk to me about dental care and vision care. Well, and hearing, really, all three. I mean, everywhere I go, I mean, it it has such an impact to their physical and mental health. Because if you can't hear what people are saying, then you're going to become less and less engaged. It certainly leads, we know, that the data shows to dementia. Same thing, if your dental is uh, care is, is not uh, what it needs to be, then you're going to, you know, you're going to have problems with eating, nutrition. It can lead to heart disease, numerous other health implications. So, you know, at the time we were making the recommendation, look, include these. Don't forget these areas. Now, you know, five years later, basically, four, five, four uh, years later, we're, you know, we're saying, well, look, tell us if you're doing something else as a response to the health accord, then tell us that. Build, build these in through some of the strategies you're developing for the health accord. But unfortunately, we didn't receive any response on that recommendation. So we really don't know. What kind of a difference would implementing those two recommendations make to uh, the lives of seniors? Well, I think it would be crucial to prevention around long-term health care needs. You know, you think about um, we have many seniors in this province who do not have health benefits, right? They, they probably work their entire lives and may have had health care while they were working, but of course, once they retired, they lost their health care benefits. So there, you know, there's no health care insurance for them after they retire from many uh, places, and other places don't offer health care benefits. And I mean, it's not a requirement on an employer to do it. So then they retire, and here they are without the ability to, uh, you know, go get their glasses, uh, have their, you know, de- uh, teeth cleaned. None of these things are included um, in our MCP system. Unless, you know, there are some stipulations depending on how bad you are and sick you are, but you have to get bad and sick. You know, it's not preventative. And if if we were looking at prevention, um, then think about the uh, way that that could take an impact off the system in the long run. 
I can't think of a single senior in my life, uh, and I know many, many, um, who haven't mentioned one of those three items to me before. Uh, the cost of dental care, um, the cost of uh, hearing aids, for instance, if they need them, and vision care. And some have gone without the hearing aid that they need or without the glasses that they need, and that is their independence right there. Absolutely. I mean, vision care. I mean, easy enough then to trip, fall, break something, and, you know, the cost to the system is going to be so much more significant than a pair of glasses. Susan Welch, I really do uh, appreciate your time this afternoon. I guess one more question. Why do you suppose there's been no apparent uh, movement on these items? Or might there be and you simply don't know yet? Well, you know, Linda, I have to tell you this. When, when I released the first status report last year, I was a little disappointed, I won't lie, because I felt the report had been out since 2019 and we had only seen a 44% you know, uh, implementation rate on the recommendations and another 44% that were uh, being, you know, somewhere impartial implementation. And I kind of put a call out there to say, look, I appreciate we had COVID in the middle of this, but I would like to see some change, you know, positive change, good implementation over the coming year. And I feel that the system stepped up to that. I really do. I think that we've seen some significant increase. Uh, you know, when you think about last year, our recommendations were only uh, 44% implemented. This year, they're 64% implemented. I think we've we've come a long way, and I, and I and I appreciate everyone in in the system who's worked hard to get us there. And so, my hope is that these two outstanding ones are just we haven't you know we haven't gotten there yet. It's just that with everything else they're trying to move forward, these are on the radar, but they're not quite there. That is my hope. <laughs> Susan Walsh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. And Susan Walsh is the Seniors Advocate in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, coming up, we'll get a very exciting update. Uh, you may recall some time ago that uh, Adrian Wills, a Montreal filmmaker, born in Newfoundland, given up for adoption, uh, came on On Target, a show I hosted uh, some years ago, just before the pandemic started. Uh, and he started on this journey. He was filming it as he was going, uh, trying to find his uh, birth family. Well... The film is out. Uh, it's going to be screened officially in Halifax next week. We'll get an update from Adrian coming up right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, a film documenting a Montreal-based filmmaker's journey to find his birth family here in Newfoundland is being screened next week at the Atlantic Film Festival in Halifax. Adrian Wills started his film and his journey of discovery back in 2020 by paying a visit to the VOCM studios just as travel restrictions were about to be imposed due to COVID-19. In fact, he had just arrived here, and I think they put the travel restrictions while he was here. Uh, that unbelievable journey was documented in real time and is now ready for screening. Here's part of my conversation with Adrian Wills about the completion of that process. Well, hello, Adrian Wills. Hi, Linda. It's been a long time. It has. It's been uh, since the beginning of COVID. I think I was your last studio guest, and uh, yeah, you changed my life. Well, well, I don't want to think that I changed your life, but it's your, oh my gosh, determined 
a search for your family. Um, and you decided to document all of this with an NFB film, uh, A Quiet Girl. Tell us a little bit about what prompted this journey. Um, I, when I originally came to, I, I came to uh, Newfoundland and I was um, with some friends and uh, we ended up looking for my birth records and I ended up finding them because the two hospitals in St. John's have their birth records are at the same place. And when I first saw those birth records, I opened them up and my kind of everything changed for me because I realized that I had another name and I realized, you know, I knew that I was adopted from St. John's. But uh, until you actually see another name, and in my case, it was uh, Baby Boy Cousins, um, you, 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 that's the moment when you realize that you were part of a whole other family and a whole other history. And so I was tearing through those documents looking for my uh, parents' names, and um, I couldn't find either of them, obviously. And I went to the woman at the uh, counter, and I said, um, do you, you know, is, is, do you have my mother's name? And she said, I do. And I said, can you, can you give it to me? And she said, I can't. And uh, that was kind of the moment. And then uh, I'd gone to see the National Film Board, and I kind of pitched them this idea, and I didn't know what I was doing at all. And I remember talking to you. My, my idea was to go on uh, VOCM. And I had heard uh, a segment with Anne Roan Sheldon that you had done about uh, Anne Roan Sheldon's. Um, she had, uh, you know, she has the Facebook group of uh, adoptees who are searching in Newfoundland, and there were over 9,000. And uh, so I contacted you and I said, Do you mind if I come on the show? And I read out my, <clears throat> my, um, background summary, which was just a couple of paragraphs saying the information I had is an adoptee, and to see if anyone uh, would recognize the story and could they get in contact with me. And, and you were you were so caring and uh, so invested, and uh, you were the beginning of uh, what ended up being a two-year journey. Well, you got to tell us, did you find your family? I mean... Look, the story became way more complicated because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what ended up happening was uh, three weeks after, well, the COVID hit, the moment I walked out of your uh, studio, and you sent out that information, and I think you told me that it had been shared in Newfoundland like over 20,000 times, and I got contacted um, by uh, by my family. And that was just kind of the beginning of the story. I don't want to tell you everything because, you know, I'm really hoping people do go see the film. Not not as a kind of a, you know, a, I don't know. It's not like a cheap ploy or anything. It's more like I actually think the story deserves to be heard all in, in all its, you know, uh, full uh, capacity. But what I decided to do in this experience that was different that I had, you know, I'd spent, I'm a filmmaker and I'd made a lot of films and stuff. And I really wanted people to understand what it's like to search. So uh, what I did was I started to, I, everything that I learned in this whole story, I learned, um, I learned on camera. So there's no part of this story that I wasn't discovering as you discover it as a kind of an audience member as you watch this film. 
And the reason I did that, which I actually didn't realize how difficult that was going to be, as you can imagine, if you were going to go into something very, very private and into people's privacy and private lives uh, and the stories that you're going to uncover, which is what ended up happening all the way through this, um, you know, I didn't realize what kind of effect that does actually have in terms of being that transparent. But I really want people who watch this film to kind of understand how complex and how, um, you know, how layered the whole adoption experience is. For sure. So you're taking them on your emotional journey. I am. It's my journey. It, you know, the strange thing is when I first came to see you and I thought I was doing this film, I, you know, I really thought I'd be learning everybody's stories. You know, I was really interested. My whole idea was I really wanted to understand what it was like to be a Newfoundlander. So, you know, I went and spoke to people like Michael Crummy, you know, the author, and, and I went to speak to, um, you know, uh, Mary Walsh, who actually we didn't end up using in the film. But I went to speak up to a bunch of different people and, to, you know, really kind of understand and uh, the adoption experience. But what I realized was actually um, that I had to let people into my journey because my journey was, I was the person who was learning the most about this and uh, about this story, you know? And, the, you know, the the people that I met throughout this whole journey, you know, my family, uh, all the Newfoundlanders who helped me, uh, it was just, it became this really, um, like a testament to how generous uh, everybody is in Newfoundland, you know, and how, yeah, how giving everybody was and how much, um, and through that it became this really transformative, well, journey for me 100%, but also transformative film, I think. People who've seen the film tell me, you know, that it's really had a profound impact on them. Did you learn anything about yourself? Uh, I learned that I'm insanely uh, re resilient and um, and that I don't give up um, because I, you know, it was a two-year search uh, because even if I met people, not everybody had all the answers I wanted, so I had to keep looking um, to find the answers to the questions. I mean, one of the fundamental questions that comes out in this film is, should you go looking for the truth? And... Um, um, did I learn anything about myself? Yeah, I mean, the, here's the the real truth of it is that um, before I started this film, before anything, and I'm sure I think even Anne Rowan Sheldon talked about this when we uh, had that first initial conversation, you know, on your show like two and a half years ago, um, I kind of saw myself as having just a blank wall behind me that just went up all the way to the sky in other words i just started at that wall and i just started walking and that was my life and so i never knew anything behind that wall and when i finished this experience in this film and all the people that i met and all the you know what i learned all the way through the experience um and what i felt i realized that actually it wasn't a wall it was a dam and that dam broke and behind me was just all this history and this whole community that I had access to that I never thought I was going to get access to. So, yeah, it was insanely transformative. Insanely transformative. Now, 
<clears throat> excuse me, he and I had a long conversation, longer than, you know, the format on this show would allow. But um, uh, we're going to be playing the entire interview during Profiles on the weekend. And we'll give you plenty of uh, heads up on all of that. But uh, what a conversation we had. And uh, anybody who uh, listens to uh, VOCM frequently will know he came in here uh, into our studio. And this was he was the last in-studio guest we had before they put in all those uh, restrictions, serious travel restrictions. Mm -hmm. So he was beginning his journey in Newfoundland at a very strange time when, you know, he had to do two-week um, quarantines, if you remember, before going anywhere. Do you remember, I do you know, remember all that, of that yeah. stuff? And so he's based in Montreal, and he would come here, and he'd have to hole up somewhere for two weeks, he and his crew, uh, hole up for two weeks. And he said that gave him time to reflect and sort of absorb the, the environs around him. He's got connections uh, to rural Newfoundland. I won't give too much away. It's in the interview as well. I might as well say it. Green's Pond. He mentioned that a few times. And it's quite the story. I haven't seen the film myself. I don't like to see things before I start asking questions, if you know what I mean, because it, it leads you in weird directions. Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay. So I just let him tell the story as he was comfortable telling the story and I am going to I have a sneak peek I guess if the, of the film I'm going to have a look at that tonight and um, I have a feeling just based on the trailers that it is surprising and powerful so we will be able to hear at least the interview what about the actual show the actual uh, the, so the film is being um, screened at the Atlantic Film Festival in Halifax next Tuesday mm -hmm. and after that the NFB well it'll it'll be scouted around a bit and uh, there's going to be some screenings in Newfoundland which we're not we don't have the, the, the dates yet, yet for mm -hmm. that, and nor does he, because I asked him. You know us now. Um, <laughs> uh, so we don't have the dates for that yet, but it will be screened in Newfoundland. He said in a couple of locations, so we'll let you know all about that when it comes. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be great interest in this. And, um, and then it will eventually be uploaded to the uh, National Film Board of Canada's website. You can see all kinds of films there. So... Uh, we'll have uh, lots more to tell you about that in the coming days, but I, uh, I'm really looking forward to finding out more about this story because I don't think it's straightforward in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. you have me um, really yeah. curious. Uh, and I didn't know m anything about that. You know, he sort of hints around mm -hmm. in, in what you just heard. Uh, I didn't know anything about that until I saw the uh, trailer. And when I saw the trailer, I went, oh, okay, this takes you in some unexpected places so you are such a tease <laughs> but that's what it's all about isn't it and he doesn't want to tell the story right now because it's not because he wants to be a tease it's because he really feels the film is f a film of discovery it's about like sharing that experience with him as he's going and it probably can do the best job because like you said it was during the pandemic when he was going through it so he had a lot of downtime yeah. to really focus and, and think about yeah. uh, the story yeah. and I know that he was doing this as he was going because he did it here because at one point, myself and Anne Rowe Sheldon, who was in the studio with us at the time, we started Googling and, <laughs> you know, and looking on Facebook and all this stuff. And, and there was a couple of things we saw uh, that we thought might be of interest to him. And he did not want to see it. And he didn't want to know anything about it until the camera was on him. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. So there's one so point where time, I yeah. showed him, and he did not want me to show that to him until the camera was rolling. Now, whether or not that had anything to do with his real journey, I have mm-hmm. no idea. But anyway, it just gives you an idea. So there you go. Uh, we're up to news time now with uh, Noah Shepard. Uh, when we come back, we're going to speak with FFAW President uh, Greg Pretty about some changes to EI. And our newsroom has started getting a lot of calls about this over the last little while. This is News Talk. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we're back. Well, the FFAW is calling it another nail in the coffin for rural Newfoundland and Labrador. Changes to employment insurance affecting seasonal workers in rural parts of the province. And our phones started going uh, uh, cracked over the last little while. FFAW President Greg Pretty joins me now. Hello. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm good. So you put out a release about this uh, uh, some time ago, and you and I chatted about it, but uh, it, it seems like it's, it's starting to filter out now to the community at large. What's happening? Well, the worst possible thing has happened. Like you, our phone lines have been lit up red all day from every part of this province. And the air is blue with with concern and language about what's happened with this latest adju- uh, seasonal adjustment on uh, employment. So it went down in the St. John's area, went down in the Newfoundland area and Labrador. And as a result of that, it's increased the weeks required to, to file a claim. And it for many people, it's also shortened the duration. Like there, people will be, be seven weeks short. Now, let me put that in the context for you. Uh, that means that you'll be coming off, people will be coming off EI in February. There'll be a seven-week gap between February and the start of the crab season. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. This, if, if left alone, this will probably be the worst year that we've had since Confederation. As, as a group of, of a society of people, we'll be left uh, without income. People will be left without drugs. They won't be able to purchase their drugs. They won't be able to purchase their food. They won't be able to maintain their households. Th- these are seasonal workers. I don't know what's so difficult to understand about that, but these are seasonal workers that have relied on this. Season. They didn't create the seasonality. They work in it. And we have an unemployment system, which which is contrary, which actually impedes and and harasses uh, workers. For example, instead of recognizing that we had the, the crab fishery, the crab market collapsed, instead of recognizing that and and taking steps to make sure that people are covered whether you be a harvester or a plant worker, as you cover, as you go through the season, this, this system, this current EI system, actually penalized both, both sets of uh, workers. And it's absolutely ridiculous. It has to change. Now, I've been on the phone. I've talked to Seamus O'Regan today, uh, just a, less than an hour ago. And here's, our, here's my pitch. It's quite simple. you got to stop 
stop the bull and the rhetoric. What we got to do is to go back to your original 14, the divisor of 14, and qualifiers on 420, 420 hours. And you also got to do the same for harvesters. And that's how we're going to get through this season. It's still going to be rough, but it's, we'll get through it. I mean, it's so stupid. I mean, we have the, the crab has been packed. It's gone for the most part. So there's nothing else. And so that's the precarious situation they put our society in uh, by by releasing uh, these numbers that will affect how people, how long people, how long people will be on uh, EI for this summer. I don't uh, understand. Guess, so why did they sorry. change this formula uh, ostensibly because unemployment is down, but they don't take seasonal workers into account? Well... They do it by region, and that's like St. John's. Give me an example. On St. John's, a harvester in St. John's needs twenty-six thousand dollars to uh, to apply for top rate on EI. In uh, in outside the St. John's area, like for example, Bonavista Bay, White Bay, Green Bay, you'd need seventeen thousand. So you know, there's, <laughs> but both both harvesters have been impacted by the crab, by the crab uh, market collapse. So that's why. It, it, it's antiquated, and I've been saying, and you've heard me say it time after time after time, we got to take that EI system and make it work for people, for workers. And it needs a, a, a reform. It needs to be brought into this 21st century. If the crab market collapses, then we didn't do it, despite some some people might say but we didn't do it, and it needs to be fixed. And, it, and so that the focus is on people who are in really rough shape because of nothing that they or their company did. So there's where we are. So we got penalized. I mean, in the worst possible year for crab, we are now penalized because the unemployment dropped in the St. John's area and in rural Newfoundland. It's, it's bonkers. It's backward. And it's uh, it needs to be fixed ASAP. So I've, I've told uh, our minister that, uh, you know, we, we can't debate it. It needs to be done. People ha- need the assurance moving forward that things will return the way they were. Now, they can do that on a temporary measure until we can get a really good look at the EI program to make it work for people. But right now... Uh, Once again, you know, I had people in my office today said, you know, what's going to happen to rural Newfoundland is nothing worse and a lot like the dirty 30s when we had no income. People didn't have groceries. People didn't have uh, couldn't afford drugs. And we're heading right back to that under this system. So that's why it's important. It has to change. And we're also, by the way telling our members to contact their MHAs, contact their MPs, and make sure they get the message that we have no intention of rolling the clock back to the 30s in this province. So you said you spoke with Seamus O'Regan just a short while ago. What was his response? His response, he, he understands it. He understands the gravity. He understands the magnitude of the issue. He'll be talking to the minister and other uh, officials in the government today. And uh, so we await we await a response from him. I also, by the way, have a call into Dominic Leblanc. I'm hoping that he can I can uh, have a chat with him to make sure that he understands the importance of this 
and that he's on our side on this one uh, moving forward. I've written the minister, I've written, I've met with the Minister of Labour for the province, Bernard Davis. Bernard Davis is on our side, he understands it. I've also written the Premier on the same issue because this is a big one. This is a this is a, an incredible challenge, um, and it needs to be fixed. And there's not something that we can look at in October and November. It needs to be fixed now so people can have the assurance in their houses, in their communities, in this province, that this EI system will not bankrupt them. For God's sake, we just went through the worst crab season of our of our lives. And this on top of it is insult on, on injury. So so let's see what happens in the next couple of days. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this without a doubt. If, in fact, this doesn't get fixed in short term, then we will have people in the streets and we will protest and we will make sure that our elected politicians, our political masters know what they're doing to this province. So I'll just leave that that for now. Well, and you mentioned the uh, the crab fishery or season that was. Um, what's your response to the newly appointed panel to review the fish price setting process? Well, we all live in hope uh, in this province, don't we? Right? So, we. That's, by the way, Linda, quite frankly, it's something I asked for, as you remember, back in the early days of the tie-up. So it needs to be done. It needs a review. Uh, I've met, as I said earlier, I met with uh, Bernard Davis on the issue. Uh, we have a few concerns on the duration, for example, but we're hoping that they can be uh, an assist. They can assist us. Uh, when I say us, I mean ourselves, the union and ASP as we move through this uh, fall and work towards a formula, which hopefully will will mean that uh, what we've witnessed this year will never happen again. So what will need to change then to prevent any uh, future interruptions in the crab or, or any other species in the season? Well, what I've always been saying it's the crab formula, which I think is uh, critical to our future. You can't have a set, a number of crab companies dictating, pushing their will on the people of the province. And what you saw this year was a was a number of companies, well, the association, whatever they're called, uh, ensuring that they took none of the risk, that the risk was on the harvesters. Our position going through was there had to be shared risk. The only way to do that is through a formula, and we had we had a formula. Whether they liked it or not, whether asked liked it or not, they wound up with a formula, and the formula made a difference. Now, there are some companies who are hoping for a formula, and I'm sure there's a number of companies that don't want one. The reason they don't want one, of course, is because they've had to pay more money for crab. But nonetheless, you know, things are lining up pretty good. The province wants it. We want it. There are some like-minded companies, and it's so important that there's shared risk on the market. We can roll with the market. Now, if it goes up, it goes down. It's happened to us this year. We got hit on currency. We got hit on crab uh, markets, but eventually it went up. So that's that's important moving forward. We just can't have a price where the companies take all the profit and kick nothing back uh, to the harvester. So I think we're on the right road here. Uh, everybody wants it except a handful of large 
companies. But uh, that work will continue. Greg Pretty, uh, keep us up to date on uh, any um, discussions or progress on the EI front. Uh, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Linda. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, and that's the FFAW President Greg Pretty uh, basically saying uh, people are going to take to the streets unless this EI situation gets fixed. And uh, Claudette, uh, I can attest to the fact that the phones in our VOCM newsroom uh, have started to light up quite significantly with people wondering about what's, what are these changes to EI that have been made. And as Greg Pretty just uh, uh, pointed out that the change means that some uh, people will be out of their EI seven weeks earlier than usual. That's uh, waiting between February and the start of the crab season, which is, you know, quite a bit later than that. One thing that uh, stood out when you were t- chatting with me w- that he said was that it was it's the worst year since Confederation. I mean, that's a huge, huge uh, Back to saying. the 30s, he's Yeah, saying, dirty yeah. 30s. Uh, Anyway, if anybody has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Uh, When we come back, watching Hurricane Lee. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Well, it's still far too early to say what kind of an impact, if any, Hurricane Lee, which is currently churning away in the mid-Atlantic, might have on this region. Forecasters keeping a close eye on the storm, including David Neal, meteorologist with the Gander Weather Office. Hi, Dave. Hi, how's it going today? Good. So, look, I know this is way out there, and uh, projections are by no means accurate at this stage in the game, but it is something that a lot of people are interested in. What is Hurricane Lee currently doing, and what might that storm do yet? Um, what we're looking at right now, Lee is still a ways away from uh, from our region. Uh, it's currently well uh, well south of east of Halifax, actually down uh, uh, still down in the tropics. So it's still uh, churning around, still a powerful hurricane right now. Uh, that is expected to continue a very slow uh, progression towards uh, towards the northwest over the next few days. Um, the latest track forecast from the National Hurricane Center do have it. Uh, taking a bit of a northward turn and making its way up towards uh, the Canadian Hurricane Center's area of responsibility uh, by late week and into uh, the early part of the weekend. Uh, but as as is as you mentioned, as is the case with something, we're getting out to you know f- uh, about five six days out. Um, still a lot of uh, st- still a lot of uncertainty and still a lot uh, uh, still something that we'll need to keep an eye on over the next few days to really get an indication of what kind of what kind of uh, impacts if any we'll, we'll see over Atlantic Canada you mentioned slowly and I think that's something we've been watching with this particular storm because it seems to be moving a little slower than most what does that generally mean is it picking up steam when it's moving that slowly or could it just sort of fizzle out uh, no, ge- yeah. Generally, when when these systems are are in the tropics, they do tend to uh, to move quite quite a bit slower than they do when they uh, they do get up into the more mid latitudes. 
so really at this stage, what we've seen with Lee is it's been kind of up and down in terms of intensity. Uh, it has undergone a bit of weakening, uh, but it uh, now is in a period where it's, uh, it is expected to uh, uh, to, get to intensify again and then weaken again. So it's just kind of it, it's been kind of up and down uh, for the last uh, the last little while. But still, uh, it's still a, a, a very powerful storm uh, as it continues its very slow progression towards uh, towards the northwest. And what about um, um, surface temperatures in the water and that sort of thing? What kind of an influencing, um, what kind of an influence does that have on uh, on storms of this size? Uh, well, that's the fuel for for tropical uh, tropical storms and hurricanes. Is it, are those very very warm uh, sea surface temperatures? So certainly, if you have that uh, that if it stays over that type of environment, uh, you, the, the, that is the uh, the fuel source for the, to keep these things going uh, as, as they move up along. So certainly, you do need those uh, those very warm uh, sea surface temperatures to uh, uh, to help uh, not only form these storms but to to keep them going. And generally speaking, when might we have a better bead on this particular storm? Uh, it's uh, certainly it's, it's it's as we mentioned, it is a it is a big it is a fairly powerful storm, and it, and it is one that uh, certainly looking at uh, the, even looking at the latest track maps is, is something that is going to start to approach our region uh, a little later uh, later this week. Uh, so um, really, it's uh, it's very important to continue up on on all the latest updates uh, to see how this uh, this storm is going to progress. Um, really looking uh, just with the amount of uncertainty as as this typical with a storm like this when you get out in five six you know that that sort of time frame days out um really just got to keep kind of keep an eye on on the official forecasts uh over the next few days uh certainly it's uh something by mid uh certainly by midweek we're going to have a little bit better beat on but it's basically just going to be a day-by-day thing we'll have a little bit more of an idea uh as we go along as we as we move uh, forward over the course of this week now, I don't know about you, but I found this past weekend incredibly hot and sticky. What's causing that? Is that part of the warm air being pushed up, or is there something else happening? Uh, so with that, uh, we've seen this kind of... Uh, Periodically uh, throughout, uh, really last uh, last week or so, uh, a few areas getting kind of an, uh, in a more of a, a southwesterly uh, southwesterly wind, uh, south to southwest uh, flow, and that's been a fairly humid at times and quite uh, and as you mentioned, quite uh, quite sticky uh, at times. So uh, that's currently not uh, not really associated with Lee, that's for uh, for sure. But uh, the, when you do get those uh, south southwesterly push, we still technically are in uh, are in the summer season. Uh, 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 so it's uh, you can get those uh, periods still where you get those uh, fairly humid conditions. So I guess basically when it comes to Lee, uh, stay tuned. Absolutely, and uh, can keep uh, following the uh, uh, the forecast on the the National Hurricane Center website, but also uh, uh, pretty soon the Canadian Hurricane Center will uh, will also uh, start uh, issuing some preliminary statements uh, over the. Uh, so keep uh, keep an eye out uh, for those over the next few days. Also on the Canadian Hurricane Center Twitter feed, there's a, uh, there's an update posted there uh, as as well. So it's uh, uh, certainly keep uh, keep up to date. Uh, as we go ahead, and as as I mentioned, as we go day by day, we'll uh, we'll know a little bit more each day as we uh, as we move forward uh, throughout this week. Uh, but yes, uh, certainly something to uh, that we're keeping a very very close eye on. David Neal, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you. 
And so, something they're keeping an eye on, Canadian Hurricane Centre uh, could start issuing some preliminary uh, statements in the uh, coming days. And the National Hurricane Centre, which is the one a lot of people go to, that's the National Hurricane Centre in the United States, uh, they have all these tracks and uh, potential tracks for the storm. And all of them are heading northwards. <laughs> and guess who's northwards? We are. Atlantic. Uh, but um, who knows what track it's going to take, whether it's going to veer left, right, or fizzle out, or what the situation is. So still way too early to uh, predict or say anything about what this storm may or may not do. Uh, but uh, we will be keeping a close eye on it. Of course, everybody's uh, awareness is heightened these days because of what happened last year with Hurricane Fiona and the devastation that that brought to the southwest coast in particular. Um, and, um, you know, still fresh in all of our minds and the people in Port Basque and Bird Islands and uh, some of the other communities in and around that area still dealing with the fallout from all of that. So uh, it there's a heightened awareness. There is. It's, I mean, something before before Fiona, people would just probably not pay so much until we're into the thick of things, like you said. Yeah, but they'd uh, sort of wait and see, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, of course, after Hurricane Igor as well, a lot of people, there was that heightened awareness for a couple of years afterwards. And then, you know, it, I won't say it fades away, but, uh, you know, we, it's, it's been like anything, relatively yeah. quiet before Fiona. It had been relatively quiet as far as hurricanes go. We saw Larry, but he was kind of mm, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was gale wind. Um, you know, nothing too extraordinary happening there. But uh, although it was pretty scary, <laughs> I do remember being in the room hearing all the wind beating around. But, um, yeah, something we're going to keep an eye on. Not trying to fear monger, just being aware. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel that we do need those, even though, like you said, because of those, I don't know if they're called spaghetti tracks or not, but uh, those tracks where we really don't know, it's not much we can do. But, you know, in the back of our mind, yeah, we can do some things to, to prepare ourselves. So it's a nice reminder. Yeah, instead of all rushing out, out at, to the the same time, at the same time. And then you see it on social media <laughs> that there's that they're all out of everything. Yeah, and yeah. lineups going around the corner and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, just be aware. Uh, there's a possibility we may get a storm. We don't know what parts of the province it will affect, if it does, in fact, affect any of us. Uh, but just be aware of that. That's all. That's what we're here to do. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, news time now with uh, Noah Shepard with all the news of the day. Thanks.